So I've entitled the message this morning, Returning What Was Lost. So, as you know, the, the, the first time I, I, I ministered on this subject was at the Complete Conference. And the whole idea of that conference was to talk about what it meant to be complete in Jesus Christ. And when I heard that, I'm like, well, if we were to, to say that we are complete in Jesus, then there's the implication that at one point we weren't complete, right? That means that at one point there was something missing and it reminded me of like when you have ever put together a puzzle and you're getting it all together and it looks good but you're missing that one piece. I mean, that, there's something missing. There's a hole in the puzzle. That means it's not complete. It's not ready. I mean, that's not, you ever seen people that, that lacquer puzzles and put them on the wall? And, you know, they, make, they put together a big puzzle and they make it nice and they frame it. Ain't everybody, nobody's ever hung a puzzle missing a piece because it's missing something. There's something that, that, that makes it fundamentally flawed, right? It would be like cutting out a, a hole in, in, in a painting and sticking that on a wall. So to be incomplete means that, that we are that at one point we we're missing. If you know Jesus Christ, I want you to know that you're not missing anything anymore, that you are whole. But at one point, before you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you had a big gaping hole inside of you. And the reality is, if that's the case, if we, we have this whole hole inside of us at one point, or we had this hole, how did that happen? I mean, we know that we were created in, in God's image, that God created us, and I can't imagine He created us that way, so somewhere along the line, something happened. How did we become incomplete? And really, if we were what does that even mean to be incomplete? I mean, have you ever heard that we're, we're complete in Jesus? You've probably heard something like that, right? We've been made whole in Jesus. You ever wonder what, what, what I was missing in the first place? What does that mean to be incomplete. And I want to talk about that this morning. And I think to start talking about these things, we actually, we have to, you know, the way back machine, we need to go back to the beginning to how, to how it all started. So because of that, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. In Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. I want you to know that in the beginning, man was made complete. He was made whole. And we know this because in Genesis 1.31, as it goes on just a little bit farther, it says, And God saw everything that he made, and behold... It was very good. That means that, that, that what God created was very good. Man was made, and it was very good. We were not made broken. We were not made with this hole that, that, we have, that we're born with. That's not how God intended man to be. God intended man to be complete, to be whole, to be well, to be in relationship with Him. God intended man to have everything that he was intended to have, and not have anything that he wasn't. That's how he was made. But something happened. And we see here that, that actually God was, the man was made in God's image. And what that means to be, to be made in God's image is to share in those uh, communicable attributes that God has. And even though we share in them imperfectly or finitely, we do share in these things from God, in his nature, and that's his life, his personality. His truth, His wisdom, His love, His holiness, His justice, those are all things that that were made into man. We were made in His image. 
And the reason God did that is because it was so that we would have the capacity to have spiritual fellowship with Him. With that, if we weren't made like God, then we couldn't have a relationship with Him. You know, I, when we were talking at the conference, I was telling the storm, like, you know, you can have a fish, but you can't have a real relationship with a fish because you can't talk to it, you can't relate to it. You're not the same as it. And one of the pastors was there was like, I have a fish, I talk to it. I'm like, listen here, I'm trying to, I'm trying to preach something. Simmer down now. But the, the reality is, is we have to be the same to have a relationship. You can't have the same relationship with an animal or with a chair that you can have with another person because we're made the same way. And that's why God made us in his image to have the same things that he has, that the, the truth and the personality and the ability to love and the ability to, 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 to have compassion. We were made like that so we could be in fellowship with him. And that is actually what we lost when Adam sinned. We lost that ability to have a relationship with God. But that's exactly what is restored when Jesus died for us and we received Him as His Savior. We are restored to this position right here. When man was made, when Adam was made, he was, he was right with God. He, was, he had no past. He had no history. He had no failures. And he was in perfect communion and fellowship with God. And then he was disobedient. He sinned. And that was, that was taken away. There was, there was a, a, a gap put between him and God. The truth is, is that when Adam fell, we were put in a position that we could not have fellowship with God without his intervention. We needed God, we needed God to do something. And so many people are trying to do it with God, without God's intervention. They want to try to try to have fellowship with God without getting to this place. And they don't understand that if, if God doesn't step in, if God doesn't fix the problem, there's nothing that you can do to fill that gaping hole that's inside of you. There's nothing that you can do. You know, it'd be like taking that puzzle and like, well, I have the basic shape and you cut out just a, a, a piece of paper to fit in the hole. You can stick it in there, but it doesn't make the puzzle complete. You're just fooling yourself. And this is when it all happened. In Genesis two fifteen through 17, the Lord God took the man and putting him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You see, before the fall, before Adam and Eve took part in the fruit, there was, there was no sin in the world. There was no darkness in the world. There was no death in the world. There was no brokenness in the world. And the truth is, is we know that, that, that God didn't cause man to fail, but Satan is behind the fall, right? In Genesis 3, 4 through 6, it says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. God just said, You will die if you eat of it. But then the Satan says, No, no, you, you won't die. God's just pulling your leg. It says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You know, the funny thing is, is that, or as Joseph would say, not the funny thing, but the interesting thing is <laughs> that, that the devil was offering something that they already had. Because what does the scripture say about, about wisdom? You know, the, the, the devil says, hey, God doesn't want you to be, to be wise like him, to be like God. He doesn't want you to be like him. But the scripture says that we are made in his image, that we are already like him. 
They were already just like him. And the devil's like, no, 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 God doesn't want you even because then you'll be really like him. So the devil's offering something that they already had. You know the devil's always going to offer you something that you already have? He's going to say, oh, just go ahead and, and, and drink this and you're going to have a wonderful time. You're going to have joy and, and fun and gladness. And, and the truth is, is that's not found in that. That's found in God, something that God's already given to you. You know, oh, just, just go be with this person. That's going to make everything okay. That's going to fill those holes in your heart. When, when, when God says, no, that's not going to make you okay. Matter of fact, depending on who it is, that could drag you way down. Find your wholeness in me. And the truth is, that's for, for non-believers. The devil's always trying to make them think something else is good. Matter of fact, that's why they're, they're chasing down all these things. They're looking for something to fill that hole that they may not even know that they have. And they're looking for something. They're grasping at anything and drugs and, and women or men or whatever. They're, they're looking for something to, 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 to fill that hole inside of them. And they keep finding, they keep going back to different stuff because it never gets filled. You know, they, they take that little paper cutout, they stick it in the puzzle, and they're like, oh, it looks like it fits, let's see how it works. And then they realize, wait a minute, that, that's not actually what's missing. Something else is missing. And they try something else because it never lasts. They're always looking for something else. They were looking for something that God had already given them. And the truth is, is that God still gives all of those things today to us. He said, it says right here in verse 6, chapter 3, 4 through 6, and verse 6, it says, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and then it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. She said, let's go ahead and eat from it. She was looking for wisdom in a tree when God had already given. That's one of his qualities that he had given to her. And even today, in James 1-5, through 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Just like then, just like now, God's the one that gives wisdom. We shouldn't be looking for it in other places, but rather from God. And even today, Satan is coming up to you. If you're a believer, he's still coming to you saying, Are you really complete? Are you really forgiven? Are you really loved by God? You can't be loved by God. Look what you just did the other day. Oh, you, you can't be saved. I mean, a saved person doesn't do something like that, doesn't make a mistake like that. And he's constantly attacking you and barraging you, trying to, to distract you and push you towards something else. And we won't even deal with why the tree was there. Just to suffice it to say, we can talk about that some otherwise. If you ever wondered why the tree is in the garden, which I always had um, talk to me about it later, but we don't have time this morning. <clears throat> Genesis 3, 8 through 9 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool day, and the man and his wife hid himself from the presence of the Lord, God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? So right after this happened, Adam and Eve ate from it. They immediately began to go hide from God. Immediately after the fall, something changed inside of them. They thought they were going to get wisdom, but instead, they got fear. Instead, they got shame. Instead, they were running from God instead of running to Him. When Before that had happened, they, they had no problems being in His presence. We begin to see characteristics in them that are not from God. I want you to know that being nervous around God is not from God. Being ashamed in front of God, that's not given to you from God. Being afraid of God, that's not given to you from God. Adam became uncomfortable in God's presence after the fall. 
That's what being incomplete is, is we get put in a place where we can't have fellowship with God. And, and not only can we not have fellowship, but we actually feel uncomfortable in His presence because we, we know something doesn't jive there. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says, For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Sinful people, broken people, can't mesh with God. We can't mix together. And the truth is, is that just like he's talking about these examples, light and darkness, righteousness and love, but light and darkness is such a poignant example when I read that because I look at how light and dark works in this world. And when you have light and dark, you ever, there's, no, there's no dark switch. There's no dark lights, which is a contradiction of terms because light is the opposite of dark. But there's nothing that can, that can, that can extrude darkness. There's only light. The only time you have darkness is what? When there's no light. They can't mix together. They can't, when light comes on, darkness goes away. They can't be intertwined. They can't mix. You, you've never ever seen a glob or pool of darkness floating around in light, or you've never seen a glob or pool of lightness just floating around in the air in darkness because that's not how it works. And the same is true with God because He is completely light and He can't exist with darkness. And that's, I mean, why do you think that so many people were so afraid to stand in front of God? Every time that they met the angel of the Lord or they were in God's presence, everyone's like, they're, they're on their face thinking they're going to die. They recognize that they couldn't be in the same place as God because His light would destroy the darkness. There can be no fellowship. That's what happened when, when we lost, when we became incomplete, we couldn't have fellowship with God because they can't commingle. We can't exist with Him. It also says in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And something else that's interesting that we see in this passage is from day one, from the moment it happened, God began looking and calling out to Adam and Eve. From the very moment it happened, he was searching for them. He was coming to them. How many of you guys know that God actually knew where he was, knew where they were? I mean, God knew exactly where they were. But he began to call out to them, and he began to give them an opportunity to respond. And God is calling out to each and every one of us. If you're in this room and you're saved, and and I believe that everyone I see here is, then you've already responded. God called out to you, said, hey, where are you? And you you responded. You, You came to him. But that's how it is in Christianity, is God actually came looking for you. And the truth is, is, is this is the same today as it was back then. You know, we got the beginning of the book. It says, it says Adam, where are you? God called to the man and said, where are you? And at the, the end of the book, right in Revelation, it says, in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. God is constantly calling out to us, to the unbeliever, to those who are lost and broken, saying, hey, here I am. Come on in. I want you back. I can take care of what's going on. I sent my son to pay the price for that. I'm standing at the door knocking. But the problem is the devil is out there constantly trying to distract people. And he's trying to take their attention away. And there's always something standing in the way. God's just waiting for people to to get off the couch and turn off the TV and come into him. And the devil's trying to keep you on the couch watching TV, distracted by something else. And in Genesis 3, 24 it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest 
now, <clears throat> pardon me, now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. When I was preparing this message, I didn't see this. But then I was, I was driving to the conference I was going over my notes, and, and I, I noticed something here that I'd never, ever seen before. And he says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. And I found that interesting. Did you know that we weren't even supposed to know about that stuff? God made us to not even comprehend to deal with evil. We weren't supposed to. Be, that was the, the, the one thing that God kept from us. Because he's such a, he didn't want us to deal with evil. He didn't want us to deal with that. And it says that, that, that we were supposed to be, to live our lives, to, to stay in the garden living with God, populating the earth, without ever any knowledge of death, knowledge of evil, knowledge of any of that stuff. We were just supposed to live and love God. That's why that, that, that Adam and Eve all of a sudden realized that they were naked before that. They didn't even know. Something that is considered bad, they didn't even know. It wasn't, that there was no concept of it. They were completely innocent of all that. And then when they fell, we gained knowledge of all that stuff. And that, at this point, that's, that's when we became broken. That's when the world became broken. There was no sickness. There was no death. There was none of that stuff. I guarantee you there weren't earthquakes in the Garden of Eden. The world was not falling apart back then. But as soon as, as this happened, death was introduced to this world. Evil, darkness. And the truth is, is that it was irreparable without intervention. This is not something that we can fix ourselves. And that's why, that's why God sent them out of the garden. I'm like, man, that's kind of harsh, God. They messed up, and you're like, boop, right out the garden you go. And I'm like, that, that doesn't seem like what a caring God would do. That doesn't seem like what a God who loved them would do. Anybody ever thought that? That doesn't seem like what a... But then you begin to read it and he says, Therefore the Lord God sent them out of the Garden of Eden to, to work the ground, which is, I'm sorry, a little bit higher. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Basically what God was saying is that if we let them stay in here and they, they take a bite from this tree, and we already know he doesn't listen when I tell him not to eat from stuff, but if we, if we keep and let him stay in the garden, he takes a bite, he's going to be that way forever. There's no repairing it. There's no bringing them back to where they were. So what was actually what seemed like such a terrible, uh, uh, awful, hard thing of God to kick them out of this beautiful place because they messed up was actually the grace of God so God could work and change them and bring mankind back into his grace, back into his, into his presence. You know, we hear that expression all the time. You know, you've got to have some tough love. That's not tough love. That's just love. That's what love does. And God didn't want us to stay that way. See, God already had a plan to deal with this. Amen. And it was already in place since the foundation of the world. Jesus was there. That's why it says, let us make man in our image. Because the, the, the three persons of the Godhead were already there. The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's the us. That's the our when you see that talking that way. It's one God, but three persons. And Jesus was already there before the foundation of the world. This plan was already in motion. This is what God had intended to, to restore us back. It says we were drove out of the garden. Because if he had stayed, that position would have been permanent. The hole would have been unfillable. We would have never been able to be made complete again. But God is good, Amen. So that's, that's how it started. That, that's why we became un, incomplete. And now we're going to spend some time looking at what, what, what Paul has to say in Romans 7, 
about this, this idea of being incomplete. And I've, I've referred to this as the conflict of the two natures. And it's not the two natures in a believer's life. Before we get into this, when, he's, when we get into this, Paul is not talking about that the believer has two natures, one sinful nature that's always trying to do sinful stuff and one good nature that's trying to do good stuff. What he's talking about here is, is pre-salvation and post-salvation. Paul is saying that when we go through this, you have to understand that, that if you're a believer, you're not dealing with some of the stuff Paul is talking about here. But in Romans 7, 7 through 8, it says, What shall we say then, say then that the law is sin? By no means, that if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, producing me all kinds of covetousness, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. So now here, and actually I got ahead of myself a few moments ago. We'll deal with that in a second. But basically what he's saying here is the, the law came after man was broken. And before the law, we didn't really know how bad it really was. We didn't. But the law came, and it says that the law came, and basically it was, it was the plumb line. It was what said, this is the measuring stick. This is what you have to live up to. And, and finally, we, we, we were able to see that, you know what, this is kind of rough. It's actually a lot worse off than we thought it was. And I remember when I, used to, when I first met Michelle, I had this, um, it was a 1980 Turbo Trans Am. And it was a beautiful car, and the paint job was only so-so. But I remember at night, out in the parking lot of the apartments we live with all the big fluorescent lights, oh, it looks so good. Fluorescent lights, if you ever want to see your car in a different light, park it under fluorescent lights, and it just makes a paint job look amazing. And it, it looks so good. But the reality was, is it wasn't. It was, it, there were some rough parts. It was blocked, the paint. It wasn't as shiny as it looked under fluorescent light. And when you begin to, if you shined regular light on it, you're like, wait a minute, that's not as near as nice as I thought it was. You guys don't believe me, I'm telling you. Take your car somewhere under fluorescent lights and look how good it looks. And then take it somewhere else. Or if you want to see something really crazy, you guys, you got a red car, right? Who else got a red? Tony, you got a red car? Park under the lights in front of the In-N-Out. Your car will look brown. Because the spectrum of the light, it won't, it won't be red. And under that light, you're like, wait a minute, something, something's wrong here. But it's when you shine light on it, real light on it, the full spectrum, you begin to see what's different about it. But that's what happened. I shined light on my car, and I'd realize how bad the paint job really was. And, and we were broken. It wasn't getting fixed. So... You know, I only looked at it at night, so it made me feel better. But that's what the law was. The law was a light shining onto us because at this point, before, before the law, the, I mean, they knew something was wrong. Obviously, the, the, the people were so seeking out God, but there was something broken, but they didn't realize how bad it was. And that's what he says here. He says, for, for I would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Basically, the law said, hey, even wanting something that somebody else has, particularly to the point that if they can't have it, you can't. If you can't have it, they can't have it. Coveting what somebody else, that's a sin. And they were like, really? They didn't even know. Paul's like, I wouldn't have even known. But it was that light shining, the plumb line. And and they began to see how bad it really was, how big this hole really was, how messed up they really were. And then basically it says, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, producing me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. The problem with that is you begin to point out how bad it was, and now all of a sudden, it's kind of like when you, we walk by a, a fence and it's got a big hole in it. If you see a hole in it, you, you won't think nothing of it. But somebody puts a sign above that says, don't look. That's all you're going to want to do is look in the hole. Basically, what he said is they didn't even realize it was a sin. They didn't even think about it. And all of a sudden, they realized it was bad. Now it's, it's come to their attention. It's like when you tell a kid, don't, don't get into the cookie jar. They might have known a cookie jar was there, but if you tell them not to, the next thing you know, it happened to, to you like it happened to me. One time, when Blake was growing up, he was uh, maybe 
three or four years old, and we were staying at Michelle's folks' house. I, wa- I took a nap, and he woke up before me, and I walk out, and the kid's an engineer at like three years old. He's got a, like a, a chair and then a box on top and all this stuff stacked up so he could get on the counter to get to whatever was on the counter. And I walk out there, and I see it. He's up on the top trying to get for something. I'm like, what are you doing? I, that's what happens when you say, hey, don't get into that stuff. If I wouldn't have told him not to, wouldn't have known he was there, he probably wouldn't even thought anything about it. But the light gets shined on it. But yes, sin took advantage of the law, what God meant for good, what God meant to say, hey, this is what's required. That's what he says here. Does that mean the law is bad? The law is sin? No, the law is not. But sin took advantage of that as it, as it shined the light on what was going on. And then in Romans 7, 9 through 11, it says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And the very commandment that promised life proved death to me, for sin seasoning an opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it, it killed me. You see, sin took advantage of the situation because sin promises us, it deceives us and promises us, promises us something that it cannot provide. You see, this is a, in Jewish culture, at around the age of 13, a person was required to keep the law. And they're required to keep the commandments in the time. And, and Paul right here is, uh, if you read the commentaries and the historians, they say that what Paul's talking about here is that there was a time that I came alive apart from the law when the commandment came. Is before he was 13, there was no requirement to keep the law. But as soon as you hit that, that, that rite of passage, the age of, uh, of that age, he, he, he had to, to live that law. But before that, he said, I was alive apart from the law. And then at the age of 13, sin came, became alive in him because that light was finally shown, just like we just talked about. It was, it was that plumb line showing him all those things. And all of a sudden, he had something to live up to. And what was supposed to result in life actually results in death inside of the believer because it points out how bad it really is. Because you're like, finally, God's telling me what it is I need to do to be right with him. Right? That's a good thing, right? And then you realize you can never fulfill it. What was supposed to bring life actually brings death. It points out how bad it really is. And then he says, uh, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death for me because there's nothing that I could do. There's no way I could ever fulfill that. It says, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it, it killed me. And it points out those things, and, it, and it, it sin begins to deceive you and make you think that, that what it is, oh, it's not as bad as it really is. Oh, just, just do this. It's not, it's not as bad as it really is. There was once a story about a, a man who had a, who had a tiger. He had a pet tiger. Not like he had it at the zoo. This was actually his pet. He, bought it, he got it when it was a little cub. And, and he took care of it and he raised it. Since it was, I mean, even the people in the town didn't think anything of it when he was walking his tiger down the street because they had grown up with him having it since he was a little cub. And everybody knew this tiger. Everybody loved this tiger. And the owner loved it. And the tiger loved the owner. And everything was great. But then all of a sudden, one day, something snapped in that tiger, and it turned on its owner, and it killed them. And everybody was in shock, and everybody was in awe. How could this tiger that loved its owner kill him? How could this tiger that, that was such a, a nice tiger, and it was such a loving tiger, how could it do this? But when they, they asked the experts, are you surprised that this happened? This is what they said. They said, the tiger is a wild animal, and it was only a matter of time before it took control in its own way. And sins like that. 
it comes up and ah, it's not going to be that bad. It's just something little. It's okay. But eventually it will turn on you and it'll kill you. So the reality is, is the law is good and the commandment is good, but it's sin that's evil. It's sin that takes advantage. It's sin that tries to deceive, take advantage of that, of that hole that you have inside of you and get you to do other things, basically get you to try to find fulfillment in whatever those things are instead of God. And it's given strength to the law because it, it's, the, it's the law that becomes, I'm sorry, it's a, the law is actually what gives focus to that sin. It's one of the reasons why you've rarely ever heard me preach long and hard messages on the stuff that you're not supposed to do. There was once a pastor that told me that he spent an entire month preaching against adultery. And, and that's good, right? We all know adultery is wrong, and that's important. He said he never had more incidences of adultery in his church than that time that he preached on it for that long. Because when sin becomes the focus, it begins to get a root. It begins to grab hold. And it seizes an opportunity. Because his preaching was good, right? That's, that, that's true. We don't need to be doing those things. But sin seizes that opportunity and turns on it. That's why you'll find me preaching life and victory. And because that's what's true, the Word of God. That'll get you over all those areas. So in Romans seven thirteen through 15, he says, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin that brought death, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. So this is those uh, two natures that I was talking about a little while ago. He says, I want to do the right thing, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. And like I said, I want you to know that he's not talking about believers here. This, he's talking about someone that was under the law. This is before Jesus. He's talking about people that they wanted to do, the, to do good. And we're going to see in a second, they're like, you know what, I, I agree with the law. And I, and I agree with these things that God says, but, and I want to do them, but I just can't. I'm, I, I don't understand what I'm doing and I do the very thing that I hate. And Paul was saying, how is it that, that I can want to be good, that I can want to connect with God, that I can trust? As a matter of fact, we'll just go to the next slide here. It says in Romans 7, 16-20, now, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that, that it is good, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I, not, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. What he's saying here is because I agree that the bad things are bad, I'm, I'm agreeing with the law. He says, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So Paul's talking about the, the unbeliever here. He's talking about the Jewish people here that don't have Jesus. And, and I know I keep harping on that because it's real important that you notice that. And we'll, we'll get to a slide here that makes it very clear. But he's not talking about two natures inside of a believer. There's not a, if you're a believer, you're, you've been made whole. You're in Jesus Christ. There's not a part of you that still wants to sin. There's not a part of you that's wanting to do the right thing and can't. You've been made brand new. You're a new creature in Christ. You are victorious. You are an overcomer. You're a conqueror. You are free. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are righteous. You are holy. 
Those things have been made true as soon as you received Jesus Christ. You were restored back to that exact position that Adam had. Adam didn't have two natures. He had one. And that's the same for the believer as well. But before you got saved, this is the conflict that was there. And I remember this conflict in my own life. Because I, I, I told you guys before, I, I received Jesus Christ into my life for the very first time when I was like seven years old. I didn't really understand what I was doing. I, I saw this little Bible, and I knew there was something there that I wanted. And I said the prayer that was in the back of it. But I didn't really understand. I didn't really believe. And I had a misconception of who God was and what salvation really was. For the next 20 years, I lived out this quasi-salvation with, with sometimes just enough faith to be saved, and most of the time not even that. And I remember I was in high school, and I would, I would go to bed at night, and I would lay out this laundry list of sins, all the sins that I did. And I, I wanted to do better, and I would say, God, forgive me for this, forgive me for that, forgive me for this. And the next morning, I would do them all again. And I didn't want to do them, but I didn't know how to stop doing them. I remember when I was in high school, I was smoking. And, and I knew it was wrong, and I, I wanted to be right with God, but I kept doing stupid stuff, and I, I couldn't figure it out. And, and I remember laying in bed thinking, Oh, I can't wait till I'm 18, so at least it won't be illegal anymore. I mean, that's one less, that's one less, I can cross that off. I mean, smoking's still not good, but at least it won't be illegal. I mean, we're making progress, right? So, and I, I would think of these things because I wanted to do what was right, but I could never figure out how to do it because I was trying to do it in my own strength instead of finally giving my life to God and letting Him work inside of me. And I, I knew what was right. And I wanted to do right, but I couldn't. I kept feeling because it's sitting inside of me. Because like I said, I had a concept of salvation, but I hadn't really given my life fully to Christ. I, I wasn't really saved because my idea of salvation was what I learned on TV. And, and Lord knows you don't want to get your gospel from, from the primetime television. But uh, I, I, was, I was broken. And I wanted to do the right thing, and I couldn't. And that's what Paul was saying here. He says, he says, I, he says that that it's no longer what I do, but it's sin that dwells in me. But I, I'm doing what I want. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin in me. He says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And this is, this is why, as Christians, when we go out into the world and we see doing, anybody ever seen somebody doing something? You have that, that twinge in you, you're like, oh, I can't believe they're doing that. You ever had that? Yeah. We should knock that, that junk off. Because the truth is, and we need to recognize that, is that if they're not saved, why would we ever expect them to act like a Christian? That's foolishness. Now, if you're in the church and you're saved, there's an expectation of living holy, correct? And there's, there's stuff in place in the church. If, 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 you're, if you're messing up consistently and you're doing it belligerently, then, then the pastor might have to come speak to you because there's an expectation. But if you're not saved, if they're not saved, we can't expect them to act like Christians, and even if they wanted to, they couldn't. Because they're still broken. They still have that hole. And we have to be very careful that we're not uh, uh, putting that, that, that on somebody when it's not even possible for them to live that way. You want them to stop out, let's get them saved, amen? Let's tell them about Jesus. Let's, let's get them through that. In Romans 7, 21 through 23, it says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God and my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He's going on to continue what he was saying, right? It's like I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing. I want to do the right thing, but I can't. 
And then in Romans 7, 24 through 25, remember I said there's going to be a scripture that talks about what the solution is? Romans 7, 24 through 25, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. He says, wretched man that I am. He says that what am I to do if I'm living this life? What am I to do? I want to do good, but I can't. I want to live right, but I can't. And there's many people in this world that they want to live morally, but they can't. And there's some people that are so far gone, they don't even want to live morally, but Jesus is still the answer for them too, amen? But he says, wretched man that I am. What do I do? I, I, I find this, the, the law came and it tells me how bad that I am. I agree with the law. It's good. I want to do these things, but I try and I try and I can't. What is the answer? And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the answer. This is why I say that, that, that the believer doesn't have to. There's not a part of you as a believer that wants to do the right thing and can't. If you have been received Jesus Christ, you are completely free. You are completely uh, victorious in those areas. Now, sometimes it takes us a little while to walk through that. Sometimes it takes a little while to get a hold of that. But as long as you're moving forward, as long as you're getting back up every time, then you're in a good place. You're making progress. You're moving forward. God is working inside of you. I remember right after I first got saved, and this time it was well and truly, I, I, God got a hold of me. I was filled with the Spirit, and I was ready to serve Him. I still had some times where I was wanting to do the right things, but I wasn't. But it's because at that point I was still trying to do it in my own power. And finally I said, you know what, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm going to start spending my time in your word. I'm going to start, stop focusing on my sin and focus on you. And you know what happened? All of a sudden the, the sin stuff fell away because my focus, he changed me on the inside. That's why as a believer we don't have this inside of us because he's changed. He's made us brand new. The same position that Adam was in, we have received and we're no longer incomplete, but we are now complete in him. This this. This here where he said, I'm wanting to do the right thing and, and I can't, that's pre-Jesus. But now we can. God has made us complete. He has made us. So how good is that? Amen. And we'll go ahead and end here today. It says in Romans 8, 1 through 4. This is right after he talked about all that stuff, right? We went from Romans chapter 7. Uh, 25, it's the last verse in chapter 7, so Paul's continuing his thought, and he says, there is therefore, in Romans 8, 1 through 4, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news right there. No condemnation. It says, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, what happened here is is God came and intervened because we couldn't have done it on our own. Paul went over and over, he says, you know, even if I wanted to, and I did, I agreed with the law, I couldn't do it. There was nothing that I could do. Wretched man that I am, what can I do? And then he says, but there's Jesus. And Jesus came and he said, if you're in Jesus, there's no con- more condemnation for you. And not only that, it says this law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And then he goes on to say, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. See, the law could just point out the problem. The law could just tell you what was wrong. But Jesus came and fixed the problem. The law said, this is, this is the issue. And Jesus said, 
I'm the solution. He said, the, the law said, this is what's bad, and now there's nothing you can do to fix it. Like, yay. It's, it's like when you, <clears throat> when you go and uh, uh, somebody goes and finds out they have like, terminal cancer or something. They go in and, and the, the doctors do all their work and they can tell you what's wrong, but then they say, there's nothing that we can do to fix it. There's nothing that we can do. You're still going to, even now you know what's wrong. You know, you felt sick before. You didn't know it was wrong. You went to the hospital. Now you know what's wrong, but there's still nothing that can be done. That's what the law did with sin. We went in and, and basically it came in and said, yep, you got a problem. But that's all we can tell you is that you got a problem. But Jesus came and said, you know what? I'm the answer. I'm your wholeness. I'll make you well. I'm the solution. I'm the cure. And he made it so that we could live the life that he called us to live. We no longer say, I want to do, do right, but I can't because sin's inside of us because sin no longer has any power over you. You are free. You are forgiven. You have been made complete. That puzzle piece is finally in. We can cover you in lacquer and slap you on the wall with pride right now. Because you have been made complete. You've been made whole. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Not only did, did the requirement of the law get fulfilled in Jesus, because he died, right? He paid the penalty for sin. The law says that this is what's wrong, and there's a penalty, it's death. Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to pay that penalty, and then I'm going to give you my life so that you can live free and whole. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet.